This podcast is brought to you by On Track Studio. And um, there was a lady at our house sitting on the couch with my mum. My mum devastated, like proper, couldn't even look us in the eye. And I was like, what's going on? Like, this is so weird. And I remember looking at my little sister and being like, someone's died. Like, I just knew that someone had died. And um, this lady was just like, basically just said, yeah, like, your dad's passed away. And I just cracked up laughing. I was like, what? Like, you know, I'm like, it's 12 days before my 10th birthday. And it was like, yeah, your dad's passed away. And it'd taken two days for the news to, like, get to us because of the lag and the lack of contact and blah, blah, blah. So... Yeah, I just cracked up laughing and then it sort of all hit me. Hey guys, welcome back to the Stillness Everyday Podcast. Today I've got Ailish Healy here and we are pretty well talking about death the entire podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So I want to cover a bunch of things. I reckon we should definitely cover death because mm-hmm. it's an interesting topic. Um, want to know how you got to Australia? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, talk about you've been to Pottery Studio a fair few times, so see how you, what you think about it. Cool. So, yeah, let's start with um, how you got to Australia. So, I was born in England, yep. in Essex, good good town, yeah. um, in a place called Rayleigh. And yeah, what's its relevance? <laughs> I mean, whereabouts to London? Like southeast, I think. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> Forgive me if I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, so I moved here, or well, I lived there. Um, I was born there, lived there till I was nine, mm-hmm. and it was an amazing place. Like, yeah. I loved it. All of our families from there, we all lived pretty close together, so it was an amazing time growing up. Mm-hmm. Had a good family. Mum and dad were pretty well off. Yeah. Dad worked in the stock market, so yeah. we had a bit of money and good house, mm-hmm. sort of like the perfect little family. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not really how the real world works sometimes, so... Um, being in the stock market, dad, dad got into cocaine and partying, yeah, right. as you do. Um, and that sort of obviously created a bit of a whirlwind in our world. Like, we were pretty young, so we didn't really know what was going on. Dad mm. was just coming home late. And Did you notice uh, anything affecting your family, like with your I think or? I used to hear – so our house was big, so it was echoey. Yeah. So I used to hear them fighting a lot, but I just kind of assumed that – not that it was – that's how it happened, but maybe just something was going on with them. And, like, yeah. you know, as a kid, you kind of always think – or even, like, now me working with kids, like, when I hear about their parents fighting at home, they're like, oh, they must be fighting about me. You know, yeah, so you yeah, kind yeah. of try and listen to what's going on because you don't really know your parents as separate people. You know them as your parents. They're the people that raise you. So you're always sort of included in that mm. relationship. And so it never really occurred to me that they might be having issues – between themselves it's more like there must just be something happening in the family that we don't know about so I used to listen at the top of the stairs and try and hear them but it's like you can't really hear anything you just make stories up in your head I remember doing that as well yeah it's funny it's just like a you're interested and I think probably energetically like Mm -hmm. when your parents are stressed you feel that because it's like you know ripples onto you so I used to listen and yeah I, I didn't really think much of it but I could tell they were unhappy because the family quickly went from like, you know, we're doing things all the time together to mum being stressed or mm. dad being stressed. And then eventually it got to the point where they got a divorce and 
then we had split custody, but it was like not 50-50. So we'd see dad maybe, I think it was once every weekend or every second weekend. Um, And that was difficult because it was like you ask those questions of like, when's dad coming home or why is he gone or or what's going on or why does dad have a new girlfriend? You you know, it's really sort of hard to navigate, um, but I was really close with him. And so I could tell he was super sad. Like every time he went to his house, he was just like not himself. And, you know, I can look back on that from an adult point of view and be like, oh, maybe it was the drugs or maybe it was whatever. But I just think he was genuinely sad. Like your life sort of falls apart and you don't get to see your kids much. So evidently it's going to sort of have a, a bad effect on you. Mm. Like it was all just really weird. Like we, we didn't really understand what was going on. And then I remember we were supposed to move to Australia as a family yep. together before like they had a divorce. Um, so that was kind of like always on the cards. And then obviously when they broke up, it was like, well, you can't do that because yep. I'm not going to be coming with you. And I remember talking to dad, like sitting on his couch in his house and he was like, oh man, if, if you move to Australia, I'm not, I'm not going to have anything to live for. And I would have been like seven, maybe eight. And I was like, I don't really know what that means. Like, what am I supposed to do with that information, you know? Yeah. I just remember him being sad and that upset me and I went home and told my mum that he'd said that and as a parent, obviously, it worried her and so this sort of snowball effect happened where it was like obviously he had mental health issues or mm. that implied other things. Um, so they had a massive court battle and we ended up – she won the court battle that we could come to Australia. But basically what happened was – we got pulled out of school early one day and all of our bags were packed and we just moved to Australia, like, yeah, without right. saying goodbye to anyone, didn't say goodbye to Dad. Nobody knew where we were for, like, multiple weeks, probably probably up to a month. Hmm. Um, and that was really hard for us. Like, we came from a massive family and then we sort of just got ripped out of that and, and brought here. Yeah, right. And it was so difficult because we came here in January – School sort of started like just you and how many? me and my big sister and my little sister yeah. and my mum. Yeah, and so we it was so weird. Like even just me trying to think about it, it's like so blurry because so much stuff happened. But we started school at Mount Creek, and it was like, okay, now you got to make new friends. You know, this is your new life, mm-hmm. and we sort of still had all these questions like, well, is Dad coming? Where's everyone else? You know, like why can't we call him? It was just like this really weird transitional phase of our life that I sort of sort of understand now was just mum coping on the back of everything that was going on Mm. she couldn't really I guess in a way like how do you parent a child and act like everything's normal where clearly everything is is not normal like you don't just pull your kids out of school and move them to the other side of the world in 24 hours like it's not a normal situation um, and then I remember sort of speaking to dad on and off and he was just so sad, like all the time on the phone. And he always used to speak in third person, like, oh, daddy loves you and, you know, daddy cares about you. And I remember always thinking it was really weird. Like, why would you not just say I mm. or... What do you think it meant? I think now he probably didn't feel like himself. Like yeah. maybe part of himself, I don't know, it's like you yeah, speculate, yeah. like part of himself probably just... He wasn't super connected to his life anymore, you know, so maybe speaking in third person was his way of, like, connecting with us or making us feel more safe. I don't know, really. It's it's a hard sort of – but I just remember thinking it was weird. And even when I read letters from him now, like, it's the same thing. So yeah. it's always sort of, like, wigged us out. But um, I remember it was March 2nd, so we moved in January 2005 – 
and then March 2nd, 2005, we, like, got home from school – or March 4th, sorry – and um, there was a lady at our house sitting mm. on the couch with my mum. My mum looked devastated, like proper, couldn't even look us in the eye. And I was like, what's going on? Like, this is so weird. And I remember looking at my little sister and being like, someone's died. Like, mm. I just knew that someone had died. And um, this lady was just like, basically just said, yeah, like your dad's passed away. And I just cracked up laughing. Like, I was like, what? Like, you know, I'm like, it's 12 days before my 10th birthday. Mm. And... It was like, yeah, your dad's passed away. And it had taken two days for the news to, like, get to us because of yeah. the lag and the lack of contact and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I just cracked up laughing and then it sort of all hit me. And I understand that now. It's like shock. You know, when you go into, like, proper shock, your body just – the way you process emotions is completely mm. abstract. It's just never mm. the right emotion, I guess. Um, yeah, and then I just sobbed and it was, like, so many questions. Like, what happened? Like, what – you know how did this happen like what happens now you know it's like all the realizations of like oh I can't just call him or talk to him and then Mm. I'm actually never going to see him ever again like it's such a weird thing to comprehend as a child plus we're in a new country sort of only here for two or so months Mm. just making friends and then that all two months yeah and so went back to school basically like the next week and it was like act normal Mm. you know you suddenly become this child at school that's like super new has a weird accent Mm. and now your dad's dead and everyone just looks at you in a way that's just not good Mm. (laughs) not good for your for your sort of self-confidence um and I think from then on and this extended like years and years but it was like a point in my life where I kind of was trying to piece together how this all happened and, and what I was meant to do in it um, without having people to talk to because we didn't really talk about it as a family. We're all grieving on separate levels. Um, and then also trying to, like, navigate how to make friends when you're, like, severely depressed yeah. as a child. And that kept going basically for, like, two years. I remember just sleeping heaps in school. I just, like, had the option to go into, like, the back room of the classroom and just sleep. And I read heaps of books because I was just, like, fill my brain with anything else I can get. Yeah. And um, so it was, like, three... Oh, what was it like? So it was 2005 and then three years later um, we got in contact with my dad's twin brother and we hadn't really spoken to him at all. So we hadn't really spoken to any of the family during that time. We spoke to him on Skype when Skype was a thing and um, it was crazy. We like He was crying and he was like, oh my God, like, I've been wanting to talk to you guys for ages and then he died two weeks later. No way. Yeah. Same thing. No, just like think from drinking too much, had yeah. like a bit of heart problem and just died but it was like the timing was like uncanny you know what I mean we just sort of got in contact with him and then two weeks later he was gone and then it was like the cycle just repeated itself like I was like "Mm." what sort of um I had a thought come up what do you remember any of the thoughts that you were having as a seven-year-old um I remember like talking so I was I was 10 like when he died and when my dad died and I remember sitting in my room all the time with like the lights completely off and I would just talk to him Mm. like you can't be gone you know like you have to still be here like how is this possible and I'd like imagine all these stories in my head like oh he's just gonna rock up at the house and he's gonna be like oh we're just joking you know like it's it's all good or Mm. I was gonna wake up like I remember going to dream state heaps like which I guess now thinking about it would probably be like sort of like a panic attack. Like, but I remember sort of having these times where like time would almost slow down, but I could feel my heart beating like 
really fast mm. and I remember sort of feeling like I was in a dream state and that I would just wake up and and everything would go back to normal you know but didn't happen that way um and that just kept going like especially after dad died I mean his twin brother died John it was like well now both of you are together so both of you just come back you know yeah. it's like it's just like such a weird thing to sort of process as a child yeah. and I started believing that I'd see them everywhere, you know, like sort of like figures or see them in people walking past me. Like, you know, you'd recognise maybe a feature or two and your face would automatically or your vision would automatically change that face into what they look like, which I understand now is just like a process of grief. But I swear to God, like there's probably three or four times where I thought my dad had like come to me. You know, like I'd feel his presence in my room or I'd be really scared and then I'd like feel him come and it was like a, it's it's so hard to explain almost, but it was like, I think that was the point where I started believing that like there has to be more Mm. because how does someone just disappear? You know, it's like you're this whole person, you have this whole life and then suddenly it's like click of a finger, you're gone. Mm. And I never really took into consideration like, how he would have been feeling or or why he did what he did but it was just that that's the thing that bugged me it's like how does someone just go away yeah and I remember going back to England um a few years later and I saw his grave for the first time and I just sat there looking at this headstone and I was like this is just wrong like it's wrong like I don't know there was like hundreds of other gravestones you know and I'm just sitting on top of where my dad's buried and I was like this just doesn't make any sense to me at all and I didn't know how to process that and no one around me could tell me you know everyone sort of talks about when someone dies like oh I'm so sorry I'm so sorry because what else are you meant to say but it's like that like pissed me off I'm so sorry that's happened to you and I'm like what does that do for me like and it was like I got really angry like I was just so angry all the time or people would be like I'd fight with my parents and I'm like oh cool like at least you've got both your parents. You know, I became that kid yeah, that yeah. was just like super pessimistic, like yeah. sort of world on my shoulders. So what do you believe now? Like what do you think happens to you when you die? <sighs> it's a hard one. It's really hard. Um, for me, I have to believe, like I have to believe there's something more. For your own sanity or just? For- no, just like because of the way the world is. Like, you know, obviously we've had chats before about like energy and things like that. It's just, it's impossible that something can just disappear. And even if it's just basing it on like a scientific point of view, it's like, you know, energy can't be destroyed. It just gets transformed or transferred. So your energy must go somewhere. I don't necessarily believe in like a heaven or a hell. I was brought up Catholic. Like I went to a Catholic school in England. And so, but that never really fit with me. Like, oh, you sin and you go to like a fiery place with the devil that sits on the throne I'm like "Mm, I don't know (laughs) I don't know about that but I do believe in like something yeah I wouldn't put it I wouldn't say I'm even spiritual because I don't even know what that word means you know it's like that's got heaps of weird connotations to it but I just believe there has to be something else like whether it's like alternate dimension or you know reincarnation like all of those things sort of sound good to me so I wouldn't say I believe in one thing but I guess part of me and probably my child self is like I do need to believe in something because otherwise it's like, where's my dad gone? Yeah. It's like he's he's nowhere. And so I think I have to, I have to in my heart, sort of believe that there's something else mm. so that he hasn't just sort of gone off the face of the earth. <laughs> and yeah. where, where does that put you in, you for like a fear of death or? Oh, 
I wouldn't say I'm scared of it. Yeah. Um, there's definitely parts of me, like I've been in a few situations. So um, when I, I crashed my car a couple of years ago now, mm. I was crying and it was raining. It was like a classic sort of like crash your car scenario. And I was speeding and I came onto the highway and 360'd my car. And it was like time fully slowed down. Like when I was in there and I went to take my hands off the wheel and it was like there was so much pressure on my hands, like someone was holding my hands there to keep my hands on the wheel. And I know now that if I took them off, my car would have probably rolled and I would have been dead. So, but there was a point in that sort of slow motion, like it's not like I crashed my car on purpose, but it was like in that slow motion sort of realisation. It's like, oh my God, I'm about to crash Mm. my car and not really knowing if it was going to be severe or not. There was like fear and then there was like, oh, okay, whatever happens, happens. Yeah, it's like this weird sort of processing, whether that's like shock or your nervous system's way of Mm. sort of keeping you a little bit more chill before you absolutely axe yourself. (laughs) But it was like this sort of really scary realisation and then like, okay, like what am I going to do? It's fine, just let it happen. Um, And there's also also been another time with the whole death experience is like – I've done a few psychedelics in my time. Before I'd done like, um, you know, taken LSD or done mushrooms or anything like that, I thought it would be a great idea to try DMT. And like for anyone out there that's done it, (laughs) if you've never done psychedelics and then you sort of dive headfirst into DMT experience, it's like super overwhelming. Yeah, crazy. So I remember like I had some of that, like smoked some DMT and um, had a little bit, didn't really do anything. So I was like, oh, I'm not having enough. So I just had like a massive kind of it and I remember getting up from the table and everything just disappeared Mm. and I like must have fallen over because I felt like grass on my face and it was like consuming me and then I remember you know in that really short trip span I literally said to myself like you've you've done it like you're dead now because it was so incomprehensible man like Mm. I don't I can't even put into words like what I was seeing but it was just like oh, my God, you've died. And I wasn't sad necessarily for myself, but I thought about my mum and mm. I was like, oh, my God, like how is she going to process this? Or my sisters. Yeah. It was it was everyone else I was worried about. Yeah. And I feel like in a sense that's what I believe death to be. Like once you sort of die, mm. wherever you go, whether it's you get reincarnated or whatever, it's like, it's like a release. Mm. Like all these sort of human emotions that we have, like sadness, grief, mm happiness it's like they don't exist when you don't have a body because they're part of your human self and so when you die or when i die i assume that like it'll be all sweet it's just everyone else that sort of suffers the repercussions of that like Mm. the sadness of not having someone there which is an interesting topic in itself because you get sad that you don't have that person but it's actually that person's not suffering at all Mm. Um, you're only suffering your attachment to that person. Yeah. And the idea Which, of right and wrong, I think. Like, this is a funny conversation, speaking of death, because I spoke to my sister about this the other day, um, my older sister. Mm. She absolutely loves me chatting to her because she's just so not into these sort of conversations, <laughs> but I just bring them up all the time. But we spoke about, like, at what age is, like, a suitable age to die? Mm. So... If your grandparent dies, like say I've lost some grandparents, they're yeah. like 70, 80, 90, mm. they pass away and it's it's sad, mm. but they're old. Yeah. So it's like the sadness is a little bit different compared to if like, so my dad died when he was 38, mm. that's relatively young. So like that was pretty devastating. And then you also get situations where like kids pass away or 
fluke accidents and stuff, but it's like, when is an acceptable age well, to it, die? What is interesting about that is this idea of time in the first place. Like we, mm. it kind of doesn't exist in some ways anyway, because you're always only in the now. Mm. So it really isn't about how many hours, how many hours or sorry, how many days you've lived. It's like, yeah, you don't know if it actually really matters. Like people get up, caught up on this idea that yeah. it's like, oh no, it was only 20. She had another 70 years, but like, I don't know. It's like depth. The way I see it is like depth over distance. Yeah. Like if you live a really full life, yeah. you can accomplish more than anyone can in 70 years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you say you die at 30, but you've lived like the ultimate life, like you've done everything you've wanted to do, you've sort of like completed your list or your bucket list, whatever the hell, it's like the depth of your life sort of should be more important than the distance that you, you made it, mm. you know? Then we've also got to kind of, then we then you got to look at like what is your bucket list and why does it matter that yeah. you're completing it before you do die, Yeah, disappear anyway. It is such a, it's a, death is such a strange topic because there's so much around, like we focus so much on life and like mm. what you, sh- which is amazing, you know, like the amount of stuff you can do in your life or what legacy you can leave behind or how much you can help other people or accomplish. There's, there's sort of all this stuff that life sort of brings, but we're designed to die, yeah. like in a sort of morbid sense. It's like mm. the second you're born, your cells have a lifespan and nobody really knows exactly what that lifespan is. You know, it depends on sort of what you do in that lifetime but it's weird to me that we don't talk about it like yeah it's really amazing to to focus on life and all the things you can do but it's like there's this whole other thing coming we all we everyone kind of i think suppresses it because it it's like a lot of people can say they're not scared of it but it's you've got to kind of Mm. really dive into it to then release fear of it i think yeah can't just say oh i don't really care i'll die when i die yeah I think that's a, everyone, that's a coping mechanism. It, too. Yeah, it's a coping mechanism because if you actually didn't care, you would be not scared to do anything. You would be fearless in, you know, work or relationships or whatever. You wouldn't. There'll be nothing holding you back because what's mm. the point? Like, oh, I don't care what they say because I'm going to die anyway. Yeah, so it's like if you were truly not scared of death, then you would live the most abundant life. Mm. Exactly. And you wouldn't care what anyone said. And it's a strange topic in the sense of Western world too. Yeah. So, like, if you think about the funerals that we have. It's just getting so dark also, but still. You think about the funerals and stuff we have, it's like, wear black, be really sad, you know, like go and we like all mourn this body. And it's like, that doesn't happen in other cultures. Like it's a celebration, Mm. a release. There's like different things they do with bodies that like commemorate them. And, you know, in Indonesia, they like bind the body and then every year like take pictures with it. And like, it's like such a different sort of thing. And so, weirdly enough, like, Western society seems, like, the furthest away from being yeah. able to deal with, with, with death itself. It's like, you know, we sell products that's, like, anti-aging. Don't yeah. let people know that you're getting but old. But there's a lot of, I think, and I was going to go into that, it's the more fear you have in a population, the more you can sell them shit that's going to, mm-hmm. you know, make them feel like they're not going to die or not going to age or, you know, yeah. going to look young forever. So, like, embrace it. Yeah, 100%. Um, but that's how the... It is such a strange, like, I, f- I find it really fascinating. And I think probably, you know, I've, I live with five people and sometimes, thank you, sometimes I sit outside at night time and my best mate's like, do you think it's healthy to be sitting out here contemplating the universe? I'm like, yes. I've got nothing else to do. <laughs> I've done all my work for the day. I laid down in bed the other night and thought that um, I had this kind of feeling that I was already dead and all I was doing was reliving the whole life as it, like, you know, like as it flashed by me while I was finishing. Mm. 
if that makes sense. You know how they say, you know they say, you know they say when you die, you kind of your whole life flashes in front of you. Mm -hmm. I was like, what if I am dead, and this is my life flashing in front of me? Oh my god, that's so crazy. (laughs) That is so crazy. Yeah, it's a really strange topic, and I guess like because like suicide is hard too. Like with my dad doing that because it's you know if someone gets sick and passes away there's sort of like a slow progression it doesn't make it any less sad but it's like you sort of your nervous system has like a timeline to sort of start the grieving process before they're actually gone but with suicide it's like it's it's so quick and it's like why did it happen why did no one notice and I got real hung up on that for ages like I was like this is ridiculous like how did no one know that he was going to do it probably also the fact that he'd said to me Mm. he'd have nothing to live for I blame myself for a long time like maybe if I didn't tell my mum it would she wouldn't have moved us you know like it was like this sort of cycle of trying to find the reason why he did it and why he left us here and and all of that sort of stuff but as I've got older you sort of understand it in a way like Mm. life gets really difficult and there's been times in my life where I've gone really dark down rabbit holes and it's like what am I doing like I've got, you know, that this whole promotion of like, what's your purpose? And like, you need to have a goal and, you know, there's a reason you're on this earth. And it's like, when you can't find that reason or you haven't quite got there yet, mm. it's so debilitating, especially when you mm. are going through really lull periods of sadness. Cause it's like, what am, what is the point of this? Mm. You know? And so I think like, as I've become more adult, I've really understood those depths of despair that you can go through and how talking about them really helps Mm. you know like there's a lot of taboo subjects in society but if you call your mate and hopefully they're a good friend but it's like if you call your mate and you're like man i'm feeling really down like Mm. i just need to chat about something you'll start to realize that people all feel like that Mm. like we're all kind of lost and we're all just sort of making our way but the best way to do that and to not sort of or feel safe doing that is to make your life seem like the best possible thing ever you know, like you're doing everything right and people should follow mm. what you're doing because like, you know, you've got the the sort of code to success, a code to a happy life. It's like do everything I'm doing. And yeah. that's – we do have a lot of that now in the wellness world where it's like follow yeah. my steps and you'll have a happy, fulfilled life. But it's like I, – I actually wrote something about this the other day. All these things are great and, you know, even I'm sure listening to this sometimes someone might get something out of it. But mm. you have to actually – go into yourself and you have to do the work yourself. No, no self-help guru is going to help you. Like we can, yeah. someone can show you breath work, someone can show you meditation, but that's it. Like you have to then go do the work. Yeah. Um, and also and the things you find purpose. is in there is not necessarily what someone else has found. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, especially with breath work, like breath work is an amazing tool for mm. anyone. And I was always really a bit iffy about it. Like, mm. wow, why am I going to do breath work? It looks weird. But doing it with Nicole um, Kagakis, the doing the connected breath, and it's mm. really so. It's not like you go and you're like, <gasps> yeah, like yeah. there's a lot of that because of Wim Hof now. Mm. Um, but these sort of like rebirthing breath, it's calm. It's really easy on your nervous system. And going in initially when I started it, I was like, okay, set an intention. Like uh, I'm going to uncover something about myself that I don't know, you know. And it's like it's going to be from my childhood. And you sort of put all these like boxes around your breathwork experience and I feel like a lot of people do that like oh come do breathwork so you can release and it's yeah. like what does that even mean what, what are you releasing where is it going for one and then also like what is it you're actually releasing because if you're constantly going into breathwork searching for something you're always mm. going to find something yeah 
And it's going to be a never-ending journey of like unlocking things that probably don't even need to be unlocked. I think a lot of um, things that come up in breathwork is they're coming up anyway, but you're not conscious of every thought because you're you're living this unconscious program that's every single day. But if you... The, when you do the breath work, you slow your mind right down and you, your thoughts are very kind of clear and concise. So then you go, oh, mm. you know, oh, right, I it's should a, do that. Yeah. But it's um, but they're always there. It's just everyone's so busy distracting, consuming, 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 putting more shit to, you know, cover up the downloads that are actually coming in. Mm, 100%. Yeah. There's always, they're always there. It's super interesting. And I, I found a lot of release in breath work. Like coming from a child that was super angry, I, I meditated all the time when I got older and started yeah. learning about like energy and mm. geometry and, you know, deep diving into the weed smoking rabbit holes that you go down <laughs> and just start watching spirit science like every day. <laughs> but I but spirit science in a long time. Do oh, I watched a video the other night and he literally speaks like so quickly. I was like, no wonder I was so anxious. <laughs> but um, just like learning about that, I started learning about meditation and mm. I did a lot of meditation and a lot of it was just me grieving. You know, it was like time to myself to really sort of grieve my life Mm. that had ended up the way it did. And it was really good for that, like sort of of closing those doors, I guess, or or processing losing my dad in the first place. And Mm. then it got to a point where I guess it's hard to explain in a way, but like I felt like my life was like lagging. So I felt like my my present experience, I wasn't in it. I wasn't standing in my present experience because I had all this other stuff that I hadn't really processed. And it wasn't like little stuff like breakups or well, they can be big. But, you know, it was like people in my life dying because I lost dad, lost his brother, and I've lost some other friends. Like I've been to so many funerals and it's just like, what is this thing? And I think I never – I sort of became numb to it and I never really processed all of that stuff and so I felt like meditation helped me catch up from the lag do you get what I mean it's like it's sort of hard to explain but and then what happened was like I meditated so much and it was doing amazing things for me processing um but then I got to the present moment and I realized that like the present moment was actually stressing me out way more than all this other stuff because I didn't really have a purpose or didn't you know all of those sort of questions Mm. and I developed really bad anxiety and it got to a point where the meditation wasn't helping me get through the anxiety because sitting with my own thoughts was like doing detriment to my health. Like I was like, oh my God, how can I be thinking this many things at once? Like it was psychotic and I was like, is this normal? Like should I have all these voices in my head like telling me all this stuff, you know? It was it was so scary. So I sort of took a break from meditating for a while um and then I started really getting into like journaling and journaling and writing stuff out because it's like a ball of mess up there sometimes and it's like if you can just get a couple of things out it's like spaghetti strings you know it's like slowly you're just untangling it all and it really helps to just release it and then um from there I started getting into doing float tanks oh yeah and that was like the ultimate meditation because there was a part of me that was like, okay, well, I've paid for this float tank. I can't just get up and walk out. Yeah. Like when you're meditating, you're like, oh, I'm hungry. I'm just going to go get a snack. You know, it's like you kind of got all these distractions and um, I really forced myself to sit with myself in the float tank and the sensory deprivation is like 
so crazy. Have you done them? Yeah. Yeah. Like I loved them, but it was like I had mad anxiety attacks the first time I went in because I was just like. Like a cocoon. Yeah. I felt super claustrophobic and just also listening to my head go absolutely haywire. It really stressed me out because I was like, is this normal? Should I be thinking all of this stuff? Do other people think this stuff? Like if I tell people that I'm Mm. thinking all this, are they going to think I'm crazy? You know? Yeah. And it was like a really good way of me sort of preparing myself for the outside world again. Like I'd Mm. go in and sort of like listen to myself. And I wasn't doing anything. You know what I mean? It's not like I wasn't in... I wasn't in there like trying to dissect my thoughts and be like, oh, I shouldn't be thinking that. I was just letting it go. And eventually that anxiety of listening to it went away. And I started to realize that it's just all of those different voices in my head are all me and they're just all doing a different job. You know, it's like an inner counsel inside your head, like a critic or like a scared child or an angry teacher or whatever, like your parental self. It's like you have this inner counsel in your mind and you you shouldn't like... For me, it was like I hated that. I hated that my head was busy and I hated that I had all these different sort of multifaceted parts of myself. But the hatred of them was making it worse because I wasn't listening to anything they were saying or just acknowledging what they might have been there for. And since doing like breath work and also doing like heaps of float tanks, I've really learned that like all of those people or all of those different thoughts I'm having and where they're coming from it's just my body's way of like keeping me safe. Like they're doing a job. Hmm. Maybe the critic is like helping me to be a better person or like yeah. encouraging me to like do try again and do something a little bit better or like that scared child that's like, don't go outside or don't do anything. Like maybe that's my body telling me that I need to rest a bit more. You know, it's like they've yeah. all caught, they've all sort of got a job. And I think a lot of humans, and including me still, like I'm not a guru about it, but it's like a lot of us sort of operate on one voice, you know, ego, whatever you want to call it. It's like you have this sort of frontal voice. It's like, that's me. That's my real person. I have all these other thoughts in the background, but they don't mean anything. Like just focus on this one thing. But it's super debilitating. Do you ever sit back and observe your thoughts as just like they're not you and you're the silent observer behind them? Yeah, it's like the observer effect. Yeah, I've done that a few times and I do enjoy it because I sort of accepted by doing those meditations, like, oh, my brain's just going to go anyway because there's no off switch, you know what I mean? Like even when you're asleep, you're dreaming and your brain's going haywire. Um, But I do recognise them as part of myself as in my body. Like I guess it's like my body's nervous. Obviously you've got your nervous system and it's always sort of surveying or your brain's always surveying the area to make sure there's no danger and things like that. So those voices or those thoughts or those reactions to your outside world are your body's way of communicating with you. Mm. So I see it as like a part of myself because if I didn't have this body, I would be nothing. You know, it's like, it's, it's yeah. all sort of interconnected. So it's hard to sort of separate yourself, but the observer effects cool in a way for, for me, it was just a good way to sort of see them all for what they were. Yeah. That's but I do sort of see them as a part of myself too because they belong yeah, to right. me. You know, it's like they're in my head mm. and I'm sure you're, you've got a critic and you've got something else, but it's like yeah. they're not my voice. Like it all, it, they yeah. sound like you, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like it's in your voice. <laughs> well, I guess they're all made up from your own journey and your story, so they are mm. yes, yours, but you also don't want to attach to them because you don't want to be um, – you don't want to let them control you really sometimes because yeah. they can be 
other people's voices maybe that you've just picked up on. Yeah, a hundred percent. I do. How, I do. How do, agree do you with that. separate intuition and thought? Oh, I had this conversation with someone the other day actually. So thought for me is like a. Th- so this is also really a difficult conversation too because people think differently. So you might think in pictures, and there's actually people that think in words or people that think in like three D. So there's different thought avenues. Like not everyone thinks of like an apple and sees an apple in their head. They might see like the word or they might see like the actual sort of textual side of it. So for me, a thought is like, it's all in my, it's so difficult to explain, but it's all in my head. Like I feel it all in my head, you know, like when you've got a busy mind, your brain is, or your head feels like it's going to like explode. You know, it's like the, the he- real head feeling, but intuition's more like a body sensation for me. Yeah. So it's like a feeling of like a rush of energy or something. Yeah, and it's never really like a clear thought either. Like yeah. it's never really like a clear sentence or yeah. like or you should go this way or don't yeah. you know, it's never like a it's very hard to sort of collapse into a solid form, mm. I guess. Like thoughts are just you interacting with your environment anyway, but it's more of, intuition for me is more of like an energetic thing. Yeah. Like I'd I agree. feel it in myself. You feel like if it's right or like you should do it or it's a or no, I shouldn't do it. Yeah, because your yeah. thoughts will come in afterwards, you know, yeah. like... And they come in and rationalise them, try to protect yeah. you and then sometimes they would stop you out of fear from doing it anyway. Yeah, it's like the internal conversation of like your head fighting with your heart basically and it's super funny to witness, I think, like sitting back in that observer and just like seeing it all and it's just like so fascinating to know that this is all going on inside of you at all times. Do you act on your first thought or do you process things? Not my first first thought. If it's intuition, I try to. Yeah. But but with like my if, thoughts, like no. If you, if you you were running late to something or you were going to make breakfast and your bed wasn't made and you thought I should make my bed, would you make your bed or would you go, I'll make breakfast and I'll make my bed? Probably make my bed. <laughs> 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 Depends what it is though. Yeah. Sometimes not. But some think- sometimes, yeah. Like I would... The making the bed thing is a good example because I'm, I've always sort of been that person that's like make sure the first thing you do in the morning is make, make your bed, your bed because yeah. it's sort of like you've achieved something. Yeah. Um, depends. Yeah. Only asking because I don't know where I read it, but it was a Zen master or Zen monk. I think it was – yeah, anyway. They said – I'm pretty sure they said to their students, the moment you think about it, like do it. Mm. Don't procrastinate or don't think about – don't like, you know – um, yeah. Try and process why you shouldn't shouldn't do it, or try and make another time for it. And it is interesting because if you the more time you spend dwelling on doing the thing, if you just do it, it's done, and then you go, oh sweet, yeah, I don't have to worry about this anymore. Next thought, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. If I go, oh, I'll I'll make my bed in a minute. No, by the time you think about making your bed, you already made it. Depends on the thought though, too. Yeah, like it's subjective because I'm sure there's lots of things like. If your friend's being annoying, you're like, mm, punch him in the face. Like, <laughs> you, you know, you, you wouldn't, you yeah, wouldn't yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like um, it's, a good, it's a good thing to chat about because I feel like once you start doing that inner work or you start getting to know yourself or getting to know your inner counsel, like mm. you can sort of discern where the thoughts are coming from. Yeah. So for an example, like if well, – let's use the making the bed example. If my head was like, make your bed – before when I was going to do breakfast, you know, it's like make your bed. I would recognize that as like, oh, that's sort of like my inner, my inner critic. 
or my inner perfectionist. You know, it's like, oh, you you always say that you're going to do that, so make sure you do it, you know. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes I'll test the waters. I'll be like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that today and do something else. But it's like I guess I'm coming in afterwards as the decider of what one of those voices I'm listening to. Yeah, I cool. honestly <laughs> sound psychotic talking about this, but <laughs> no, no, it's, it's like the – yeah, there is sort of like – I guess you can call it the – Oh, where did I hear this explained? On a podcast or something where it's like your higher self or your mm. capital S self and your lowercase self, your lowercase S self. So it's like your higher self is like your sort of inner goodness, like the way you exist as a child and the way you exist in like purity. And then your lowercase self is like all of those other voices that you've developed over time. Mm. So they're both still part of you, but you're sort of the decider of, of what you do with those thoughts that are coming in. So when I sort of get those thoughts, for any, a good example is like if I was fighting with my partner and he said something, like we're relatively good at conflict, like we don't really fight much and we're good at sort of navigating it in a constructive way. But if he was to say something to me that like really triggered me, mm. like I don't know what, but something, mm. and I know already that when I'm going to attack and respond, it's like I'm going into like, my child self, like, oh, fuck you. You know, it's like you want to get, like, aggressive back because they've sort of attacked you in a way. But I wouldn't necessarily say that. Like, I'd recognise that thought come up and be like, mm, that's probably not the most constructive way to answer that and then change. Yep. But I still recognise that thought coming up as being allowed to have space in my head, yep. you know. It's like I shouldn't be like, oh, I shouldn't think that. Just yeah, try yeah. and get rid of that because that's yeah. not that, no. that's not how it works. It's like you just end up suppressing them, yeah. and then they come up in the most retarded situations. So recognizing those thoughts or recognizing those voices, and then deciding whether it's appropriate to act on them or not, is an amazing technique. Because sometimes they are, like with the when I work with kids now, and yeah. there's times where I'm working with like six and seven year olds, and they're like dancing around like chickens in the room, and I'm like dance like a chicken in my head and then my adult self comes in and be like don't do that you're gonna look like an idiot and but I would then I'm like no I'm gonna do it like and Mm. dance like a chicken with the kids you know there's times where those sort of like impulse thoughts come up and they're really Mm. good to act on because they're appropriate for that moment but there's way more times where they come up and it's not appropriate Mm. and because you don't have that level of discernment between them being like a choice that you have like a Oh, it's so hard to sort of explain in, in linear sort of language. But yeah. if you're not aware of your inner voices or your inner facets, then it's really difficult to sort of go about your life in control of it. Yeah. Because you're going to be acting on those impulses all the time and then beating yourself up about the fact that that probably wasn't the best response to make. But yeah. the only way you can discern if they're the best response to make or the best thought to go off is by learning where they're coming from. How do you ever know what the best um, outcome is there? It depends on your belief system, I think. Like, mm. I try and be a compassionate person and I'm like a mega hard ass. So sometimes it's really hard for me to be sort of coming from that place of love. But I do really try and do that as much as possible. Like, consider how it's going to make the other person feel while also considering how I'm feeling. So if someone's being an asshole to me, initially I'm probably going to want to be an asshole back, but I won't do it. And I think for me, that's like the correct response to that situation 
in that time. But there might be other times where I want to be an asshole, you know, because that's like sort of honoring how I'm feeling, you know. So it's like it's situational. I think there's – you can never really judge what the right response or the most correct response is to a situation, but you can definitely feel it in a way. There's a – look it up when you um, – or tonight or something. It's – I think it's called Is That So? And it's a Zen – I think it's a Zen Buddhist story as well. And mm. He kind of talks about – I can't remember the full story and what happens, but something apparently good will happen and then – everyone will rush up to him and say, oh, my God, that's so amazing. And then he'll be like, is oh my that God. so? It's, no, oh, my God. And then is it the maybe story? Yeah, it's probably, it's probably the same thing, yeah. And then they come up with like, oh, no, I'm so sad that such and such died. And he's like, is that like really or is that so? It's so – this then, is so uncanny that you're saying this because yeah. I literally listened to – it's like the Taoist farmer story. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah, and it's like the horse. He has a horse and the neighbours are like, oh, my God, you're so lucky. And he's yeah, like, maybe. Yep, and yep, then yep. – it continues on. It's like his son breaks yeah. his leg and then, yeah. yeah, that's so funny. But it's so true in life. Like we all, I think that's what Vipassana has taught me the most. It's like the good and the bad, you, you don't react to either mm. because you don't actually know what the next result's going to be yeah. of that event. Do you think it also comes down to accepting like... It's just, ex- and just full, um, it is accepting and it's fully just letting... What happened, happened. Yeah, because I'm fully aware that like, so for for taking, going back to that example, like if someone's an asshole to me and I want to be an asshole back, like I understand that if I do that, there's probably going to be a repercussion. Like maybe it's not what I think it is, but like generally it's just going to perpetuate the fight and then we're going to continue on. It's like, but I'm, I guess you need to be fully accepting of whatever way the situation goes you know what i mean and that's a great way to live your life because there is no wrong or right way to do stuff but you can sort of determine in yourself what the right way for you is Mm. and then just accept the fact that you can't control the outcome of that you can only control how you're responding to it yeah and i think that's so amazing because you make a choice you can choose to well that's really all we have to reflect with anger yeah or you can choose to just not engage and walk away there's a um that's sort of like the only thing we do have in life is choice. You know, there's just things happen, good and bad things. And that's probably something I've come to accept now too is that there's good and bad things that happen, but things just happen all the time, whether you want them to or not or whether you're manifesting them or not. It's like... I want, I actually, it's another thing I wrote about recently was whether we do have choice or not. I actually think we have both options. I think we have free will and we don't have free will. Mm. I think if we're unconscious about the program that we're living, we don't. But when we're conscious about it, we do. Mm. As in you can decide which choice, but you've really got to kind of, um, like every single decision, if you're not consciously being just present on making the choice, it's making it for you. Yeah, okay. Um, I get what you mean. Yeah, so... It's super interesting. It's like where this conversation went. Yeah. <laughs> like we didn't plan it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, way but off track. <laughs> but if you do plan it and you're consciously taking the, the conversation where you want it to go. Mm. Um, there is one more question I wanted to ask before we wrap it up. The Back onto the death subject. Do you think that we – there's a um, – sorry, how am I going to word this? Someone that used to train us with martial arts, he believed that everyone had an expiry date. Mm. So we all had, we all like, no matter what, that was kind of it was over for you, because um, he used to be security for bikies in the seventies and seventies and eighties, I think, and he 
would tell us like we'd ask, like tell us these gnarly stories and we'd be like how like aren't you kind of scared of that like he wasn't a very big guy and he just said like if I was meant to die I meant to die like if I wasn't going to die in that fight or whatever I would have got hit by a bus mm. so he he believed that the end date was the end date and I think it's kind of powerful because then you're gonna then live your life without fear because if it comes to an end it comes to an end yeah what do you think? I definitely believe we have a, t- a lifespan. Like we have a certain amount of time that we're meant to be here. And it's a really personal reason, I think, like after sort of contemplating the the question for a while. It's like yeah. for – so my life right now is really great. You know, like it's – I had a bit of a hard run in that in those first sort of 20 years, but my life's really good now and I have a really good partner and I've got amazing nephews and, you know, there's all of this stuff and, and – it's something we've spoken about before, me and my sisters, about how if dad was still alive, would any of this have happened? Mm. You know? So, like, if my if our life didn't happen exactly the way that it happened, mm. and then it wouldn't be what it is now. So, like, if, you know, I would love for my dad to still be here to experience my life as it is, but my life as it is right now wouldn't be here mm. if he was. So, it's like... Looking at it happen for you? Kind of like it happened for me, but yeah, it's it's so strange to sort of think about because there are so many times where, you know, people have, you know, they get cancer. I'm going to use cancer as an as a example because it's quite a common thing. So people get cancer and then they get chemo and they get healed and then, you know, four years later they get it again and it's like again and again and again and again and then nothing sort of helps. And then there's also like it sort of ends up like I've, I had an old friend that had cancer and, and um, he was like pretty old, but he said... Um, I just accepted that this is what I'm meant to get now because he got it, he got it so many times. It's like, oh, I keep trying to beat it. It's obviously I'm just meant – this is how I'm meant to die, you know. And But then there's the other thing of like fluke accidents or like I had a friend, uh, Lee, that died in a car crash and he was young and same sort of thing, like the depth over distance, like he had a really full life. So yeah. part of part of me – and I know that like wherever he is, like he was a big believer in like the afterlife and things like that. So he'd sort of done his time. So I don't know if it's like an expiry date or if it's like there's a certain amount of things you sort of need to – Accomplish, yeah. Yeah, like complete in your lifetime. And then once that's done, whether it takes you five years or 40 years, it's like once that's done, it's done. Like, Well, there's the – there's it's kind of the same um, thinking, I think. Recently someone brought to me the um, whole notion of you chose your parents before you came here. Mm. You've heard of that? Yeah. And the kind of – it's really interesting because then you think about, well, by being – by choosing my parents, then though – like I chose them to be able to learn these lessons. I yeah. couldn't have – I couldn't have um, – learnt them if I was had yeah. your parents or had you as a parent. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I've um, really I've really thought about that quite a lot because obviously I've learnt a lot of lessons from my parents but they've been really powerful and it's it's really shaped who I am and there's been multiple people across my life that have wanted to kill themselves and, and I've been able to sort of not talk them out of it but just be like a band aid, you know, mm. like sort of help them process things and give them enough time to distract themselves instead of just doing the impulse thing and I would have never known that if or I would have never even known how to navigate that situation if my dad hadn't died and it's the same thing like I've been there's there was a point in my life where I was like super depressed and and suicidal and the one thing that stopped me is like knowing that the repercussion of, of that yeah. choice on everyone else yeah, and yeah, I yeah. wouldn't have known that if it wasn't for dad you know what I mean so yeah. it's sort of yeah you're 
every it's taken an eternity to get here you know it's like everything in your life had to go a certain way so you could be this specific person having this conversation with me right now and vice versa and it's like I just think it's so powerful to not necessarily hardcore believe but like ponder the thought that everything happens as it should for a reason yeah that's I literally was about to say that if you like people might be listening going like you know, you guys are off your head all week, so <laughs> woo-woo. But the um, the reality is, it's. I mean, it's the same as religion, I guess. If you believe by being a good person, you will go to heaven. You don't really have, you, I mean, maybe they do, but you probably won't have fear of dying because, you know, you're mm. going to go to everlasting, like in heaven. So you'll live a more abundant life all mm-hmm. the time. The choices you make, you will you know, for the betterment of everything else. So if you live your life thinking that everything happens for a reason... And you're not really scared either because like, oh, that bad thing. Well, was it bad? I don't think so because what's going to happen next? And you look back and go, oh, that happened for this. Yeah, it's hindsight. It helps you live in, Mm. helps you live more abundant life, I think. Yeah. I do struggle with that a little bit. Like I struggle with that everything happens for a reason because it's like. But there's always a reason But I do also believe it. Yeah, Yeah. It's like this weird thing, like in the moment, I'm like, I remind myself like, oh, something else is. This is leading on to something else, yeah. you know? So it's like, but then... It's kind of exciting too, though, because if you believe that and you're in a rut or whatever, you're just like, well, I wonder actually what this is going to lead to. Yeah. I wonder what's going to happen next. Yeah. And when it happens, you're like, oh, cool. And I think a good thing just quickly to mention on that too is like, so sometimes people can get carried away with like, everything happens for a reason and it's a good reason, mm. yeah. you know? Like, yeah. oh, be happy about everything because everything is leading to the next thing, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, don't suppress the sadness. Yeah. Like, if something sad happens, there's probably a lesson in the sadness that you're missing. If you're just sort of rose-coloured glasses, like, everything's happening yeah. for me for a reason, you know? It's like, that doesn't mean it's always positive. Yeah, like, there's those lessons you sort of need to learn along the way. Most things that happen are things to fi- help heal your own trauma. Mm. So when it comes up, it's a mirror look at it, deal with your shit, Yeah, keep going. Yeah, and also it's like we don't even know what the fuck we're talking about. <laughs> well, legit. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like yeah. It's, it's all just contemplation, which is yeah, what's yeah. so beautiful about it and I love having these conversations. But it's like I'm yet – and like we've spoken a bit in depth about stuff and I sort of – we know each other's views on certain things, but it's like not – doesn't define – yeah. everything you know what yeah. I mean like I feel like um when it does come to really religion and things like that they're really good sort of belief systems to base your life on but there's a point where like that becomes all consuming and yeah. everything you're you're experiencing comes through that lens mm. and yeah. that's so hard no. sometimes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like you yeah. got to be you got to be willing to sort of shift and move because yeah. 100%. that's what we're meant to do you yeah. know you can't yeah Drift like a cloud and flow like water. Mm, 100%. Thanks, Alan Watts. <laughs> Being humans just super weird. And I think like I'm grateful for this like really stressful sort of beginning to my life because I've got to 26, nearly 27 in a couple of weeks. And it's like, I'm so chill. Like I get really passionate and like still super angry about certain stuff. Like mm. especially when I'm, when I'm talking to people about the universe. But I really see this part of myself that's like chill. Yeah. Like okay, life gets really stressful and I fully understand that now. Like it's, it is, does get stressful and like I've been broke as hell and I've had money and I've sort of been homeless and, and had places to live and I've lost people and I've gained people. You know, it's like this sort of balance and mm. I've really sort of learned to step back from trying to control all that and not, just get to know myself. 
like yeah. get to know my inner voice or my inner voices and get to know how I can react in the world if I if I want to react that way and it's just like learning that if I know as much as I can about myself and continue to learn every day because I'm always changing mm. that's the best I can do in this lifetime doesn't matter if I don't achieve anything or or whatever it's like that's the most we can do as humans is just like do your best and learn as much as you can about yourself without getting all consumed by that too because then it becomes like a forever journey of inner work. I could listen to this podcast in six months and disagree with everything I said. Yeah, exactly. You've got to just keep adapting, changing Mm. and don't be um, attached to what you believe now because you might not believe it. Otherwise, if if you draw a conclusion and you – that's what I believe. You'll never – you just shut yourself off the infinite possibility of what else is out there. Yeah. Like I fully was convinced not that long ago, probably a couple of years ago, that our government was full of reptilians. <laughs> well, they've possibly – And now I'm like, well, I'm not sure, you know. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like yeah. you just just have fun with well, they could certain be. beliefs too. They could be. What else? What else? I don't know. How do we Stop. know they're reptilians? They could be like rabbits <laughs> or something. That's right. <laughs> but oh. I do. I do think we need to like – I love having these conversations without sort of having a plan to it too because we're just two humans sitting on a, on a nice leather couch talking mm. about the weirdest shit and some people are probably going to listen to it. <laughs> you know, it's like it's such a weird – this whole life is such a weird thing to comprehend mm. and there is some really devastating stuff that happens and, you know, I'm all for – you know, I have so much compassion and so much love for people but mm. I also really – sort of want people to learn that being human isn't meant to be super easy. Like yeah. you can It's not meant to be easy. No. You can you can plan most of the best parts of life are come from the struggles. Yeah. And unexpected stuff. Like that spontaneity or that decision or or meeting that random person that got you into blah 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 blah. Like mm. it, it's just It's like this podcast. Yeah. Relinquish control. You're a little, you're a little bit nervous at the start. Look at me go going. talking about reptilians. <laughs> But that's it, like the podcast too, like I was, I mean, Sophie said do it, I was kind of hesitant, but, you know, had so many good conversations already, I don't know where it's going, who knows? Mm. People might, I don't even know if people are listening, I haven't even looked, I haven't even asked Sophie. Call us, my number is zero. <laughs> <laughs> Reach out if you're listening, love to know. <laughs> but All it right. is, it's just good to, yeah, good to be fluid, like you say. All right. Well, thanks for um, coming on. No worries. <laughs> it's good talking about death and... Always good talking about death. The meaning we're of life. We're all going there, <laughs> and wherever we're going, I'll see you there. We might already be dead. Yeah. Am I dreaming? I'm probably still in that DMT trip. Can someone wake <laughs> me up? <laughs>